0: On the Dallas Opera Network, you're listening to Opera Box Score.
1: Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's America's Talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined by Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, and Weston Williams, as well as our guest this week, conductor. Anthony Bereze. All right, on the show, the European football championships are down to just four teams. The OBS works out the semifinals, and special guest, maestro Anthony Bereze, will pick a winner based on the opera prowess of the remaining four countries. Plus, two-minute drill, good news from New York, prototype is coming back. Uh, oh, yeah. So is the man. For the full episode, subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher. Just favorite that show on Apple Podcasts. Again, joining us on the show this week, Anthony Bereze, music director of Opera Southwest. Tony, it's so great to see you again.
2: Great to see you, too.
1: Look at that hat.
3: Oh, <laughs> <That was laughs> Mercedes.
2: Yeah.
1: Oliver Camacho, there he is. Look at that hat.
4: I have worn this hat on this show before, but now that we're and mostly... You didn't remember, <laughs>
1: Matt Cummings, (laughs) where's the hat?
0: Uh, I left it at the beach where I
5: got a little sun kiss
0: today. But, you know, that's just from a year of not going outside. So what
1: are you going to do about it? Weston Williams, too cool for a hat.
5: Oh, absolutely. I mean, at some point, I feel like I'm going to get too cool for this hair. I'm just going to shave it all off. And then the eyebrows and then the mustache and then the beard. And then just
1: be completely
5: hairless and vulnerable on the show, which I think is what we really want going forward.
1: Once again, let me just point out a couple things. First of all, yes, we beat Germany! (laughs) I can die happy. It doesn't matter what happens now. England, we finally beat Germany. Point number two, this is not a racist flag. This is an England flag. (laughs) Not, I mean,
0: I wouldn't go that far.
1: It does look pretty racist. Matt, a rough week for the IOC.
0: Rough week for the IOC on the the dimension of racial bias alone. Like, within a one day you had two african sprinters Christine bomba and beatrice Musilingi, who had been ruled ineligible because of their testosterone levels you had shikari richardson who was suspended due to thc levels in testing and the governing board for the swimming allowed that uh, those swim ca- the swim caps that accommodate natural black hair were not going to be allowed for the games too so just like Bad luck. Really bad luck. Olympics start? I,
2: I forgive my ignorance. I, I kind of don't really care about the Olympics. But if, have they started yet? They're in trials. Okay. They've been doing trials. They're in uh. trials.
1: Oliver in Wimbledon land, of course. What's the update there, Oliver?
4: Well, earlier today, uh, Canadian Felix auger uh beat um, Sasha Zverev, uh, which is an upset. And that making Felix auger Aliasim the last person of color in the uh top i guess top eight men and top eight women total so uh yeah they've been whittling down the field over there in england where they like it white just like your flag behind you
2: if we're all giving sports updates can <laughs> i can i chime in with the formula oh, one update? okay um the the, the one and only ever uh, black formula one driver lewis hamilton last year tied the uh record for most world championships of all time seven he was uh, we're hoping that he wins this year uh although it is looking increasingly grimmer uh formula 1 uh has imposed a bunch of rules that um price caps for teams and mercedes put all their eggs in next year's car and are not really developing this year's car and uh lewis hamilton hasn't had a podium in about four races and it's just looking really grim and it looks like he's going to be defeated by um the dutchman um they're stopping for stopping, yeah.
1: Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Longtime F1 fan here, just like you. I'm really impressed, Tony, that you busted wow. that out. Let's talk <laughs> some All right. opera.
3: All right. Chalk talk on opera box score.
1: Euro 2020, although it's happening in 2020, is the World Cup of just European soccer teams. We are down to four in the bracket. England plays Denmark on Wednesday, Italy and Spain on Tuesday of the week that we're recording. Gentlemen, you do realize, of course, that if England beats Denmark and gets into the final and, dare I say, wins the final, I will be completely unbearable. We are going to try and work through the remaining brackets, see if we can predict a winner. Round one, Weston is going to back England. I'm going to back Denmark, and we're going to make our cases to our judge, Tony Berese, based on these factors, operas that are set in that country the number of opera houses that country has and the capacity of those houses, quality of the composers from that country, the number of performances by composers from that country, the prominence of singers from that country. So it's a pretty wide barrel of metrics here that we four are using to make our cases. Later on in round one, Matt backing Italy, Oliver backing Spain. But we're going to kick it off with... uh, Weston's England,
5: George. I think I might need to borrow your uh, your uh, racist flag there. (laughs) When I initially picked England, when I initially picked England, I thought George was going to be judging this instead of Anthony. So I feel like I (laughs) I might be at a more of a disadvantage than uh, than I initially thought, but that's okay. So England is maybe not the first country that springs to mind when you're thinking about opera, right? I feel like people tend to gravitate towards your your Germany's, your France's, your England's. Uh, Definitely England's start with an
2: apology. That's, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's the way key. to go.
5: But that's <laughs> the thing, though, is that uh, I there's no need for England to apologize because once you start looking at these stats, you're like, oh wait, this is kind of a little superpower in and of itself. Um, I was looking at a bunch of stats. These are uh, all my stats are from opera OperaBase.com. Um, This is, uh, I I decided to look at the 2018, 2019 season because um, obviously I don't want to count anything from the pandemic because all bets are off there. Um, And uh, Great Britain had the sixth most operas performed in the world, which is pretty impressive. So
1: it's not even top five. (laughs) Well, but
5: it it beats out France and Spain completely. Um, While and while it's not, you know, number one, it, it definitely is punching above its weight class, uh, especially for a country that had a bit of a operatic dry spell between Handel and Benjamin Britten. But, um, <laughs> you know, a short stretch of music, history. a little short stretch.
1: Kill <laughs> Britten Sullivan, if you please. <laughs> but you have to remember,
5: too, that in the 2018, 2019 season, London had the most operas performed um, than any other individual city in the world, London. Um, and it was a second in the number of productions compared to uh, Moscow, I believe, um, which is pretty impressive. Um, there are over 430 opera companies in the U S in the, in the UK, according to opera base, which is very impressive. Um, there are, of, and then if you look at another list of top composers uh, in terms of the 2018, 2019 season, Handel saw 511 performances, which is ninth place out of 10, But you also have to remember that Handel is the only Baroque composer on that list. It's all 19th century basic people, basic composers, uh, you know, and and Mozart. Like, what is that? You know, but Handel is like holding on not just like England, but like the Baroque period entirely, which I think is pretty cool. Um, England is also one of the home to a lot of, I think, very... Uh, offbeat composers Uh, like um, if you look at some of their 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 offerings you have like ethel smith probably the most famous female composer of the past you know three four hundred years honestly um benjamin Britten, of course single-handedly revitalized british opera and i think arguably was you know uh, instrumental in modern styles of opera. Um, I would also mention that, you know, if you go way, way back, you've got like Purcell, you know, England getting at the ground floor. Really, really solid stuff. And while maybe they don't have necessarily like the breadth of like Italy in terms of like all of the great like War Horse composers,
3: Uh-oh. they are
5: they are a powerhouse in terms of contemporary composers. I would argue that there are more relevant 20th century and 21st century English composers than there are from any other country on this list. I mean, uh, you look at uh, Peter Maxwell Davies, Thomas Addis, George Benjamin are some favorites of mine. I mean, these are all big, heavy hitters in the contemporary opera world. And a couple of those are still alive, which is a nice bonus. In terms of singers, you've got, um, you know, quintessentially British voices like Peter Pe- Pears, uh, Ian Bostridge, uh, Janet Baker, Kathleen Ferrier, John Tomlinson, Alice Coote, Sarah Connolly. They all have very British voices in a very specific sense of drama that you don't necessarily see with a lot of, um, you know, uh, singers from other countries, in my opinion. And I would also be remiss as far as singing goes to mention uh, countertenor Alfred Deller, who uh, paved the way for the modern countertenor. And I think that because of Alfred through Alfred Deller, we have one of the most important developments in vocal technique um, coming from England that is now a quintessential part of historic period practice Uh, They basically invented a new voice type, which is not something that I think you can really say out of any of the other uh, countries here. And for that reason, even though it might be a little bit of an underdog at first glance, I think England has a pretty good shot of winning it all this year in soccer.
1: Wow, you put put your best foot forward there, Weston. Good effort. I like it. All right, we're gonna let's get real now. Okay, let's talk about Denmark. Side note: I'm happy to cheer on Denmark as an England fan just for today. Once we meet on the pitch <laughs> uh, for the Euros, all bets are off. All right, Carlsberg beer, one of those delicious Danish beers. Its old advertising slogan was Carlsberg, probably the best lager in the world. You know, when you comes to opera, I think the same thing applies. You know, Denmark, probably the most underrated opera country in the world. Copenhagen, it's just plain cool. It's the place to be. Let's talk opera houses. I'm going to leave everything on the floor. I'm not saving anything for the next game. <laughs> what a rookie mistake you made, Weston.
5: Because in- he won't make it past the first round. All right.
1: We got two big, two big opera houses, the Royal Danish opera led by John Full James and the Danish National Opera. Those are both in Copenhagen. And actually, the Copenhagen Opera House looks remarkably like Jabba's sail barge, which is really <laughs> beautifully done. They it. Do you mean 300... that as a point
0: four or a gap? <laughs> yeah,
1: that's they my question. $370 million to build that in 2000. All right, here's the stat that matters is, th- is this. There are 36 opera companies in Denmark. That is for a country of six million people per capita. That blows all these competitors out of the water. That shows the importance of this art form to this nation. Let's look at the composers. Edvard Grieg, Carl Niesen, Paul Ruders, who just wrote Handmaid's Tale, even Louis Andreessen. Edvard Andresen. Grieg? Even Louis Andreessen yeah, well, is still yeah, alive What's, what's a
2: good Grieg opera?
1: going to get into specifics here. <laughs> I don't have the time for that. Alright. Uh, and look, this just in. Kaya Sarriaho's innocence coming up uh, next season at the Met, mind you, was commissioned by the Danish National Opera. We've got writers, stories from the likes of Hans Christian Andersen. We've got voices like baritone Bo Skowus and tenor Loritz Melchior and directors like Kasper Holten who cut his teeth in Denmark and then would go and run the Royal Opera House. So are these household names? No, they're not. But in the Euro 2020 competition, Ukraine, that wasn't a household name. Um, uh, Switzerland, that wasn't a household (laughs) name. Either, but boy, this roster of singers, writers, directors, composers, houses is so unique, and it deserves to go to the final. Reza, make your call.
2: This is a this is tougher than I thought it would be. Um,
4: you you got to take off points for Edvard Grieg because he was Norwegian. Yeah, I was about to say.
1: <laughs> okay. Well,
3: I
2: don't know of any
1: operas okay. that he wrote. That's um, fine. That, That's fine That too. But Double hey, points. Look, <laughs> IKEA, okay, IKEA. <laughs> That's
2: Swedish. Swedish. When you said Sariano, <laughs> it's like she's not. But you but you made the point that I mean she's Finnish, isn't she? Sorry Spanish. Yeah, yeah. But he said it was commissioned by the by, Yes, by he's playing Nintendo. this
0: pan-Scandinavian league over here.
2: <laughs> 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 I mean oh, man. This is tough. This is really tough. Unfortunately, I'm gonna have to go with England simply because it's just got a, like a, a longer history. It's, I don't know. I'm sorry, George, but you made some compelling arguments, but then you also made some some serious mistakes.
5: Well, if he starts crying, he can always dab his eyes with his enormous England flag immediately behind him.
1: So Denmark makes an early exit here. We did well. It was a very,
2: it was was a really tough choice though. It's okay. It's still a moral victory for you, George.
1: (laughs) Moving over to the other half of the bracket. Then this is Matt's Italy. Who's going to go first against Oliver's Spain.
0: I got to go first. I don't even know what kind of argument I'm going to counter, but luckily (laughs) (laughs) we got a powerhouse on our hands because literally how much time do you have to talk about the people (laughs) who invented opera as it is today? first recorded operas were performed in these ducal palaces in italy and then and that has grown into a cottage industry with these major houses like La Scala, arguably the Mount Everest of performing an opera and uh, definitely the Mount Everest of getting applauded for performing an opera. You've got Teatro La Fenice, which is, which has both cultural significance as an opera house named The Phoenix that has burned down not once, but twice and was featured in major opera movies like A Night at the Opera and the Lucchino Visconti, who also was an opera director his film Senso. Teatro San Carlo, the oldest continually active opera venue in the world in Naples, and basically the template for for most of these royal opera houses that these jokers are talking about. That's not even counting the Arena di Verona. I could go on for literally two hours just listing opera houses in Italy, not even talking about operas that were set there or composers. Let's talk composers. Weston had you know, we, we've already, we've already seen the hand there in, in, in England. In Italy, you've got, you get in from the ground floor. You've got Monteverdi Cavalli going all the way through the Belcanto era to Verdi and Puccini, the bread and butter of your operatic repertoire today. Of the top 10 most compor- most performed composers from those 2018-19 stats, you had Verdi in first, Puccini in third, Rossini in fourth, and Donizetti in sixth. Just those four composers. Uh, second was,
5: I believe it was Mozart as I Go to Mozart. Oh. Yeah. Okay.
0: yeah, just those four composers is a total of over three thousand performances. I, I, you know, <laughs> I. <laughs> singers again how much time do you have <laughs> you've got the historical singers like Francesca Cuzzoni Farinelli Luisa Tetrazzini like all people who are on the vanguard of technical advancement in opera and whose names we still talk about in terms of teaching opera history because they were just that important to the art form and then legendary singers within memory I mean you've got Pavarotti you've got two Renatas, both Scotto and Tobaldi, two Titos, both <laughs> two and Gobi. And that doesn't even count Totti Del Monte. You know, I could go on and I probably will because this is going to be a blowout. I- all
1: right. Matt Cummings going to save something for the uh, potentially inevitable second round here, but Oliver's Spain.
0: Well,
4: Italy may have tech. all of that, may bring that much muscle to the game, but where's the romance? I mean, oh. if you took away oh. Spain... You would not have Carmen. You would not have Don Giovanni. You wouldn't have Barber Seville or Maria Figaro or Trovatore or Don Carlos or Forza del Destino. Yeah, or who wrote all those operas? <laughs> but he needed a place. Um, what about Don Quixote? What about Elixir of Love? Did you know that was set in Spain? And yeah. so yeah.
2: depends
4: on who you Yeah. <laughs> so, so many composers, namely Italian ones. Wanted to be Spanish, they wanted to set their operas mm. in a place that the audience immediately identified and understood what it meant to be Spanish, because that's how important Spain is to Europe. And we're talking about singers. I mean, if you did not have Manuel Garcia, you wouldn't have Maria Malibran. So none of your Rossini operas would have a star. Or Pauline Viardot for all of those great French operas. And she composed herself, Pauline Viardot, even though she wasn't born in Spain. <laughs> she comes from Spain. <laughs> and then there's only one, you know, non-desirable singer, you know, um, Placid Sunday. But we have some really nice ones <laughs> like Montserrat Caballé.
0: Hall of Famer, got to give her credit. Alfredo
4: Krauss, Teresa Berganza, Pilar Lorengar, Jose Carreras. Um, Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, Spain just brings so much to the table. Um, Yeah, we have some opera houses too. Three that are, you know, considered to be international level uh, European houses, the Bilbao, the Madrid Real, and the Gran Liceo in Barcelona. And we have uh, a stage director that everybody wants a piece of, Calixto Bieto, Bieto. Uh, you know, Italy may have the history, but uh, yes, yeah, Spain has shown throughout time that it's always a place that composers want to go, that singers come from, and uh, where weird-ass directors <laughs> get their start.
1: <laughs> <laughs> crazy name, crazy guy, Calixto Bieto. So Oliver makes the case for Spain, throwing it back to our guest. Place, crazy. It's the place to to judge. Italy and Spain, we are looking at the entire body of work here. Opera set in that country, the opera houses, the composers, the number of performances, the prominence of the singers. Which country Spanish has Spanish composers, we don't
2: really got them. <laughs> <laughs> we have that Zarzuela stuff. But and there's, um, I, I'm band. reminded of the first time that, that Michael Jordan was allowed to play basketball in the Olympics and uh, was basically <laughs> cleaning his fingernails while playing the the Russian team. And it was a bit of a Turkey ship. So I, 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 I mean, I really, I can't in any, despite my, my preconceived notion, I just think this is such an unfair. If this uh. like, I don't even know why you, I know you put Italy in this, but it's like having a, a pyramid contest with Egypt versus like everybody else. So it, it's with, with um, I don't know. With with no regrets, I this one goes to Italy.
4: Ah, puta madre! I'm shocked. Absolutely shocked. Yeah, I
1: I thought that was going to be closer. I I really (laughs) did. You you really you really labored over Denmark. But here we go, so we go on to the final. Once again, the countries that we have today, these are the teams that are in Euro 2020. So France made an early exit. Germany, haha, we know what happened to them, don't we? And uh, who was the other big, oh, Belgium, of course, crashed out as well, along with Austria and Switzerland. Into the final, Weston's England, you're gonna go first, Weston, against Mats Italy, the final. Here we go, make your case.
5: Well, I think the, the first thing I want to say is that I know Matt's going to come up right after me and just hit me with the rest of those statistics, which is going to, to hurt a little bit. But the reason I named pretty much all of my statistics in the first round is because I think the real core of what makes England an operatic superpower is a little bit more ineffable than that. Um, it, first of all, one thing we haven't mentioned, especially when you're talking about, say, like Verity and stuff. Verdi was heavily, heavily inspired by Shakespeare. And I mean, you know, you're not going to have a lot, 60% of Verdi without Shakespeare, at least not as effectively, you know, yeah, uh, and, and it would be, it would be really tough if you had like,
0: like one of your prime operatic composers of a country being heavily influenced by your opponent, like that's true. George Friedrich Handel, for instance, you would <laughs> never want that, that, that to be brought. Well, you'd also have all. to
5: remember that, you know, Handel, you know, while he did do a do time in Italy, there's also the German component as well. Oh, so so thinking, famous, we're he's German, famous like primarily <laughs>
0: for his German music.
5: Sure. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I do think we have to point out that, you know, uh, Shakespeare is, has his fingerprints all over the European continent. Um, Every single time someone is going to create talk about something that is dramatic at its core, they're going to refer to it as their country's version of Shakespeare. You know, Italy is a vocal powerhouse. You've got all the bel canto that you could ever want. You've got your Puccini. You've got your sopranos. But I think we can, um, and this might be a controversial statement for Anthony specifically. But I think once you get to the, you know the mid twentieth century things start to diverge a little bit in opera. You have the the vocal pyrotechnics, the old fashioned Italian style, and then you have the more dramatic, more grounded, perhaps more relevant, I would argue, as the England supporter style of opera that really finds its home in England and places like Germany. Um, I would say that, you know, you might go to an Italian opera and hear some very impressive runs and trills. But once you hit the 1950s, there's not that many relevant Italian composers out there, I would say. I mean, I, I think that, you know, you look at like someone like Thomas Addis is much more of a force than any living Italian composer because of the way he writes the way he speaks to the, uh, you know, contemporary people. I think that modern Italian composers are not heard that much outside of Italy, whereas England is in its flowering. Italy had its flowering maybe 400 years ago. And who knows, they might have won every single competition up to this point. But I think that England, if you take into account the drama, the relevance and the, uh, the more adventurous nature of what it is currently producing has a better shot of defeating them here in 2021 slash 2020 because of the pandemic.
1: Reston Williams <laughs> using some substitutions and some 20th century trickery to try and one up. Matt's Italy. Matt's, what's the uh, second half going to look like for you?
3: Yeah,
0: you may uh, you may have tried to to kneecap Verdi, but
1: interestingly, <laughs> Shakespeare
0: himself, hit a lot of the roots of stories like Romeo and Juliet come back to Italy themselves. Every set, I mean, every version of Romeo and Juliet oh. set in where Fair Verona, where we play our scene. <laughs> so, did he really write it so much as steal from the Italians? Somewhere. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, we, you know, the. Operas that are set in Italy, I didn't even mention in the first round, but what's really interesting about them is that, uh, I think of operas like Tosca, which are not only set in Rome, but are like a tourist guidebook to important monuments in Italian history. Like these are not just, they're not just set dressings, but they're fundamentally part of the story. They're like the, they're the fertile soil. The history itself is part of the fertile soil from which these operas grew forth. And furthermore, to talk about 20th century composers in England that, you know, that ignores composers like Luigi Nono, Luciano Berrio, uh, composers who maybe don't get heard or performed, performed as much as the 20th century uh, English or, or the older Italian composers. But that does not mean that they were not, you know, out there still doing the work, still running the runs, still doing their drills. Uh, the Italian school of singing was so influential that England stole it and imported all of the singers from Italy because that's what people wanted to hear. (laughs) Every other national style of opera was really kind of created in opposition to Italian opera itself because that was how they had to define themselves as what they weren't as opposed to what they were because this is just a juggernaut that will not be stopped. When people stop going to La Scala, then maybe London can be top dog. But like, I just don't see that happening today.
1: (laughs) Matt Cummings making the case very strongly, finishing off the final. We go back to our judge and our guest on the show,
2: Anthony Bereza. I was really impressed with the Shakespeare argument um, until I remembered this was a discussion about opera. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, that is I, fair, I, I suppose. Again, and and oh, you went down the wrong alley with the con- contemporary Italian opera is my 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 greatest love <laughs> so uh wait don't yeah. forget about the bribe i gave you uh yeah again i just fi- find this this whole setup so unfair um to everybody but uh italy so this isn't <laughs> is an easy uh, shooting world wow Earth, italy.
1: Italy storms its way into the final and wins the Euro 2020 of opera. The
2: only what- thing that, they, that you could have brought up, I think that would have really been a gut punch to Italy hmm. was the fact that they're notorious for not paying their singers uh, even to de- I mean even be- right before the pandemic. and even some of the best opera houses are just uh, swimming in red. Um, and and that it is much more preferable for a lot of these people to sing, I, I think, in really any one of the other countries.
5: I think the real downfall was the failure to pay the referee, but, you know, each that, their that own. That could have, yeah, that could be it too.
1: There we go. Well, we'll see how it plays out in let, reality. Just let it be noted
4: that our judge's last name is Barese, yeah. and that is not a Polish <laughs>
5: There name. is There is a little bit,
4: a little bit of
2: bias.
1: That and would they, never it, fly,
2: FIFA. Yeah, that they don't do that in soccer, right? It's
3: never- <laughs> <laughs> the international so clean sporting. as can yeah. be. <laughs>
1: Going kind to of talk a little sports then before we move on to the two minute drill. I actually went to a White Sox game last oh, week. Went to no surprise. Thir- I went to a Thursday uh, day game. I mean, I am a Cubs fan, but uh, and it was a ton of fun. It was an absolute ton of fun. People out there, the ball ballpark was uh, about as full as it gets for the Sox, which was which was a lot of fun. Uh,
5: <laughs> All twenty people.
1: <laughs> at this, at the same time, this is this is insane to me. Is that. My daughter is winning our family pool for Euro 2020. Both teams that she picked for the final are still in. I, I don't know. Which how money is in
2: this? How days. much you like? is on the table here? It's,
1: it's like you get to pick the restaurant for food Oh, dinner. that's cute. It's, it's, it's high stakes. It's not like it's high
2: chores.
4: Or like... There's
0: no skin in the game. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and
4: her favorite singer is Bo Scobus, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Two-minute drill. It's going to kick it off right now
3: this just in the two-minute drill.
1: All right listen up here's everything you need to know about what happened in Operaland this week.
5: The Metropolitan Opera and Yahtzee have reached an agreement that will allow workers to return in preparation for the 2021-2022 season. The deal was struck over Independence Day weekend and includes a 3% wage cut for stagehands. Earlier reports indicated that General Manager Peter Gelb had initially asked for a pay cut as high as 30%. Meanwhile, the Metropolitan Opera has
4: announced several new additions to its conducting roster for select performances in the upcoming season. Kazem Abdullah will return for Fire Shut Up In My Bones, while Patrick Furrer will make his Met debut for Don Carlos. J. David Jackson will conduct Porgy and Bess, while Gareth Morrell will conduct Le Notte de Figaro. And according to Google Images, that's three white guys and a brother. <gasps>
0: Sandra Radmanowski made history at the Teatro Real de Madrid on July 4th when she sang an encore of the iconic D'Arte in Tosca, becoming the first female singer to give an encore at the opening night of an opera at the Teatro Real.
1: Lyric Opera of Chicago has reversed its earlier decision to cut the running time of its fall season of operas and remove formal intermissions. The change, a response to the COVID-19 pandemic and no doubt Matt's letters, has provoked a backlash among mostly vaccinated subscribers, many of whom wanted intermissions and were worried about their personal comfort at the Opera House.
5: Prototype will return in January 2022 with a hybrid online and in-person festival. Four world premieres and one U.S. premiere will include an interactive piece by Daniel Bernard Rumain and Mark Muthi-Joseph called The All Sing, a jazz opera on the last days of Socrates by Taylor Mac and Matt Ray called The Hang, amazing, a double bill entitled Trade Mary Motorhead by Emma and Marco Halloran. Cannabis, a Viper, Viper Vaudeville by Grace Gallo and Baba Israel, and friend of the show, Huang Ro and Basil Twist will give the U.S. premiere of Book of Mountains and Seas, inspired by 4th century B.C. Chinese myths. The Grange Festival
4: is boasting an all-star UK cast for production later this month. Sir Thomas Allen, Louise Alder, Susan Bullock, John Tomlinson, and Kim Begley Nota bene, this is a production of Shakespeare's King Lear, and there'll be no <laughs> singing, proving that opera fanatics really will pay to hear their favorites, like Thomas Allen, read the phone book.
0: Congratulations are in order for Chinese soprano Hui He, who was honored with the Vivian Lee Award from the Corriere della Rivera and artistic director Andrea Torresani. The award is named for promish English actress slash Italian vacationer, who, with her husband, Lawrence Olivier, frequently vacationed in the area.
1: The Italian Stefano Pace, who's taking over as head of Opera Liege, had some tough words for those many Opera House general managers who also direct. He told a Belgian newspaper, quote, I like to debate the concept of work with directors, but in the same way that an art gallery director will not exhibit his own paintings, I prefer to devote myself to the role of general manager.
4: Danielle Denise has made her recent miscarriage public, telling The Guardian that women across the world face the pain of miscarriages on a daily basis. Denise recounted the intimate and painful details of deciding to perform the role of Musetta through abdominal and groin pain when she had not yet been diagnosed with an ectopic pregnancy. Denise added
0: that she was fortunate to have the Royal Opera House's full support. In trade news, Daniele Gatti has been named the next music director of the Maggio Musicale in Florence. Zouin Meta will stay on as artistic director emeritus with the two maestros conducting an equal number of productions in the upcoming season. Previously, Gatti served as music director of the Teatro dell'Opera in Rome, where Michele Mariotti will take over his position.
5: San Jose is out, Houston is in. Corey Destor, the soprano turned administrator who revitalized Opera San Jose and steered the company through the pandemic is leaving the general director post for the dual GD and CEO role at Houston Grand Opera. Destor, who has only been the general director of San Jose for two years, called the new offer irresistible and said that Houston Grand Opera's sense of opera as an evolving art form was the deciding factor.
1: Hey, Cory, pro tip, don't even think of directing at HGO. Exit stage right, Dutch composer Louis Andresen, who was known for his distinctly European twist on his American minimalism, composed multiple operas, including La Comedia, Riding to Vermeer, Rosa, a horse drama.
4: German conductor Hans Gervantz has died at 91. He began his professional life as an assistant to Georg Scholte in the 50s before becoming Darmstadt's youngest music director in 1963. In 1994, Gervantz was given the Silver Plaque of Merit,
0: Darmstadt's highest honor. And on this day, July 5th, in 1855, it was the first performance of Jacques Offenbach's Entrez Monsieur et Mesdames et Une Nuit Blanche in Paris. Italian soprano Gabriel Legatti was born on this day in Rome in 1908. In 1919, it was the birth of Italian tenor Arrigo Pola, most famous for being teacher, to one Luciano Pavarotti. In 1921, it was the first performance of Alberto Franchetti in Umberto Giordano's Giove a Pompei in Rome. In 1934, there was the birth of Finnish baritone Tom Krause in Helsinki. Happy birthday to French soprano Isabel Poulenard, who won this day in 1961. And finally, in 1965, Maria Callas gave her last stage performance on this day, singing Puccini's opera Tosca at Covent Garden.
1: Yeah, okay, Matt, we get it. Italy won. That's your two-minute drill.
4: So that was Tosca leaping off of the top of the... What's the name of the church again? Uh, 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 um, the Castel San Angelo, is it? Yeah, yeah thank you. Okay. Castel San Angelo. Uh, that's what Maria Callas probably sounded like on her last Ooh. performance. Uh, that was uh, also from 1965, just a few months before her farewell to that role and to the opera stage. Later on in 1965,
1: on this day, we should work top down on this this weekend. So, IATSE, the Union of Stagehands, and the Met. Make a deal over Independence Day weekend. Boy, that sounds like just a way to kind of ruin everybody's.
0: (laughs) I mean, the pressure's on if they want to open up in September. So they had a deadline, I think, of the 7th to get a deal done. And coming in ahead of the wire is uh, news that I was not necessarily expecting based on all the reports that were coming out of these negotiations being pretty um, unpleasant,
3: <laughs> to it's, say the least.
1: It's surprising. I mean, it's definitely surprising. I don't think we, we thought it was going to happen by the deadline. I also think, so the early report said that Peter Gelb wanted Ayazi to take a 30% cut in pay, which is unbelievable. Which there was no
0: way that was ever going to fly. Well, yeah. gonna <laughs> was he taking a pay cut? Uh, well, I'm not entirely sure. He but has, yes. I think he suspended his pay throughout the pandemic.
5: It, you oh, no, la- last year, I believe uh, last year he did uh, the, the I believe the news was he did make one point four three million dollars, but That's a, those are over his Met stock options, right? <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how they're calculating that. And I, I will say this looks like it might be a win for Yahtzee, at least if we take the um, what the Met was initially asking for at face value, which I know, obviously, there's going to be lots of room for negotiations. But um, this, you know, if they wanted to open up, this was, you know, when they had to do it, because they're right down to the wire, as far as reopening goes. So hopefully, it is a good deal. And, it, and um, hopefully, this kind of thing can act as a bulwark against Met management in the future. <laughs> so speaking of the Met, the only reason we have this uh,
4: information about those four conductors who were added to the conducting roster is because somebody in MetPR wanted it to be published that this is happening. And probably because Kazem Abdullah has been added to the roster, giving them one more diversity point. But I feel like they lose that whatever goodwill of having Kazem Abdullah added to the roster by naming three other white guys. And who knows? Maybe these three white guys are amazing. Maybe they're married to Asian women. I don't know. But um, it's just like not to me, That's not a great look.
2: <laughs> um, I'm can I'm confused how the lyric was gonna do these shows without an intermission.
5: They were I all gonna p- be short into like 90 minutes.
2: Yeah. When, oh, they uh, were gonna do that, that sort yeah. of cutting. Yeah, they thing. were gonna do both. Yeah.
5: Oh, they're, they're really, really betting on their new fancy seats to keep people comfortable through all five yeah. <laughs> hours of the
2: or
3: or,
2: or or even just Macbeth. Is always, but you know. <laughs>
5: Anthony, you are doing it
4: again. You are not giving Spain its due diligence <laughs> rushed <laughs> right over the story of Sandra Brodanovsky. Oh, yes. History
0: in Madrid. The first female singer. I mean, these are just like like those sports stats where it's like, this is the first time that a pitcher with a mustache on a Tuesday
3: got.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, congratulations to her. I will say looking at the prototype festival looks kind of great. Um, Just everything is like, it's like every time prototype does something, it's like it was for me specifically the the jazz opera on the last days of Socrates. The hang is such a great name for
1: what it's so good, right? You're, you are not nearly cool enough to go to prototype, and neither am That's I. Fair. Just That's for the fair. That's fair. But okay. just so
4: you know, everybody, from now on, we're supposed to call Daniel Bernard Romain DBR. That's sort of his thing now. So oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. DBR. You uh, heard it here first, folks. If you were talking about Daniel Bernard Romain, it's DBR. Not no, to be confused. No, 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 with... Don't say his name. Again. Don't say Daniel Bernard Romain again. Okay, it's DBR. No DBR. more <laughs> Daniel Bernard Romain. <laughs> not to be okay?
1: confused with uh, PBR.
5: <laughs> D- completely
2: D-R. different recording yeah
1: i i don't get look you know i'm as english as the next man from england i don't get the the grange festival doing king lear okay king lear is my favorite shakespeare play yes great but like what's what's the appeal to hear these people not use their singing
5: voices? well i think they they must have gotten in this google doc and saw the uh uh, the argument i was going to make about shakespeare and uh, really decided to go for it (laughs) honestly i think it's kind of good because you know i i think the acting style of opera singers you know jen tends to generally be a little bit broader a little bit more expressive you can do those long vocal lines and you be don't be to... careful how you're treading there so <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to do uh you know the, the 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 breath support alone to make it worth it i mean Honestly, I think, you know, John Tomlinson, you know, has a a bit of a wobble now that he's, you know, whenever he's singing, but his dramatic performances are always dead on. And I would love to see him in King Lear. I'm, I'm actually on board for this. I mean, like as a singer, you only have so much control over the pacing of, you know,
0: how right. your words come out. And so much is really very little based on how much of a collaborative effort it is. Uh, and so I've always thought that you know saying that opera singers can't act is untrue and it's a bad rap mm. i mean certainly there it are some true. who prefer not to but uh, <laughs> it's really just an it's a different understanding of how acting works in the art form and what's and like what kind of service it provides and in a spoken play there's just many many different dimensions that are not there that are not possible in an opera because you're not working with a composer <laughs>
1: This, I just, this is a tough play to pull off with the best people in the best of times. I, I need to put that out. Yeah, that is
2: that is a good point. It's I mean, that long. is a beast
1: of a play. A beast of a play. Maybe we, Lyric
0: can sh- share some cuts with them. <laughs>
1: yeah, Exactly.
2: At <laughs> the very beginning seat. of the pandemic, my wife and I decided to read King Lear. Um, we bought two copies and we just reread it. And I, and I, I still don't know what happened. <laughs> I just did you I, watch Ron? I I found it. Is that a is that the a
0: Kurosawa like a, uh Japanese King Lear.
2: We're getting this signal from, from Oliver. Oliver <laughs> Oliver's, Oliver's getting hungrier over there. He's done with this combo. Yeah. He,
1: Stefano Pache quoted um in a this Belgian newspaper, he, so he's taking over at Upper Liege and he's saying, Look, uh, do your thing, right? Stay in your lane. General managers. Manage the company. You don't need to direct. I, I, I don't. I don't agree with this. I, well, it's
2: such a weird. I mean, so it's. It'd be one thing if he was in an American company, constantly having to chase over after donors and get you know, and not getting these wonderful state subsidies that they that they get in Europe. I mean, I can I can understand that concept a little bit better in America, but in I don't know. It just seems.
4: I feel like he's talking directly to Andreas Mitosek, and he no longer has. A job at LBO <laughs> or at Cot. So, who else is doing this?
1: Well, I mean, a lot. Of,
2: there are a lot of people that run. I mean, the, uh,
1: there's a lot. Tomer Zvulun, Tomer Atlanta Opera.
2: Larry Adelson at Saratoga. I mean, you know, a lot of there, there, there are quite a few people. Not at the the, the, the tippy top level, but certainly
1: it gets it gets less as you go up the tree. Like Alexander Neve is not directing, you know, his own productions. But who's
4: that woman that is a uh, with? And with, uh, Francesca Milioto, what's that company? Jade. Oh, oh, yes. Uh, Lauren um, Meeker. Oh. Lauren Meeker. Yeah. yeah. She directs.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true. Well,
4: we're talking yeah, to you, Lauren. Yeah.
3: And, <laughs> so, uh, well, on the-
4: um, it feels weird to not have uh, a woman on this panel for this yeah. story, but the Daniel Denise, uh, story in The oh, Guardian was really, really was hard to read. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, you know, we know her as like the stage animal and we saw that production of, well, boy, I'm here in Chicago and it's very physical and, you know, that's not a super long role, but, you know, she does some stuff in that performance where she's like jumping on tables and hopping around. And it's like, you know, she's just a dynamic performer and I know that she's very generous on stage. And uh, yeah, it's for her to decide that she was going to go, go forth, even though she was experiencing pain and to find out after the fact that the reason why she was in pain was because of this ectopic pregnancy, man.
2: Mm. Does she have any other children?
4: Yeah, she has one, uh, she has her own child with Gus Christie. And then she also is the mother of Gus Christie's child from a former marriage. It's all there in the Guardian. Anyway, uh, we won't comment anymore on this because we're five sausages talking about this. <laughs> yes.
1: <Yeah.
5: it's, laughs> no Ashley this week. <laughs> yeah. But
1: we can, we can advocate. We can put a link on it for, um, mm-hmm. I love the hire Corey Dastor at Houston Grand Opera, right? So here we go. A singer who has become an administrator. It's not. Atypical, but you know, it, it happens. It's, it's unusual though. I, okay. So, quote, uh, interested in the sense of opera as an evolving art form was a deciding factor at Houston Grand Opera. I don't know if I see that necessarily from their programming. I think that probably Death is going to start to make those changes. You don't right? see so, that really? Don't? I, I don't. I, I don't. I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not sure like what I would be, what kind of repertoire directors I'd be looking at to see to see that sense of change. I will say they've had a lot of curveballs thrown at them. Everything from the flooding of yeah. their performance space yeah, a couple hurricane. years ago. Yeah. Uh, and they they respond Perrin Leach responded very well to that and and was able to come up. And um, uh, Patrick Summers, I think, is the music director. Yep. There. And you know, they really pivoted well on that. But obviously to have a great artist like her. Who is also a woman, woman and also a person of color, taking HGO to the next level? I will absolutely.
4: We're gonna get her on the show, absolutely. Yeah. I'm I'm an Invitation be, to I'm you, saying. Ms. Dustor.
1: And uh,
2: Houston's been really uh, instrumental in getting, you know, the they, they commissioned the, the the three Martinez operas, um and, and that Chicago, that I think did one of them, was going to do another mm. one of those. Those mariachi operas, those are getting done all over the place. And. And from a friend of mine who sang in one of them, they did something like 15 performances of, of the first one. It was everyone was completely sold out with an audience that they had never seen before. So they are they are speaking to their community in a way that and uh, a lot of
4: people keep, keep in mind sorry. that those mariachi operas are in Spanish.
2: Yeah, well, that's what I'm. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but, I mean, they're, they're, that's what I'm saying. They're, they really start speaking to their to their. Uh, um,
5: he's he's talking I mean, about the contest. Oh, for you, right, markets yeah, yeah. Spain, that, that round yeah. one knockout.
2: But they're also <laughs> written by a, a Mexican, not a, a Spaniard. So. Right,
4: <laughs> oh, man! It's, but they're not in uh, like Aztec or anything like that. You know.
1: <laughs> it's. Okay, I yeah, you lost me. We're gonna we're gonna wrap <laughs> we're gonna wrap it up, Darmstadt. Yeah, I just don't want to pick it up to Darmstadt. Darmstadt. You know, when, when I lived in Germany, when I was in a drink, I don't have a drink, in, but in Germany, uh, I was at the uh, Staatstheater Darmstadt, uh, a place that uh, I remember very fondly, and how marvelous that Hans Jevons was given the silver plaque of merit. Uh,
4: before we close this up. Um... Can I Anthony Berezi, do you have anything to say about the Franchetti-Giordano collaboration? Have you ever heard of two composers collaborating on an opera?
2: Um, yeah, but not, not that late. You know, you, you have pastiche and stuff going back into the... Well, you have the, the brother, brothers Ricci, Federico, and um, Luigi, and they were they they combined on a number of operas. But this is it. For, for those of you who are friends with me on Facebook, I publish a daily um, Italian opera calendar that goes in-depth into all the operas that were premiered on that day. And that is the only Italian opera that was premiered today. And it was done uh, in a town, a small town, not too long ago, a couple of years ago, Chieti, they did a production of it. And I listed some of it. It's, it's pretty cute. Oh, that's cute. That's it's, a, it's, a, it's like a, it's almost like an operetta. I mean, it's okay. very light. And it's It's just not what you think of with those two composers at all. It's very silly
5: and, you know, they wrote every other note in sequence so it's, it's just
3: it's a wild <laughs> it's all, <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right let's wrap this show up
3: good call bad call on opera box score.
1: good call bad call is the way we end every show tony beresi great to have you on, by the way, we'll give you a, a chance to hype anything that you want to hype or we'll let them think about it for a second. Share. We'll let, so we'll let you go last. I do want to <laughs> just remind the listeners Tony Baresi, correct me if I'm wrong, you were the man who ate a page of a score yep. after Donald Trump was elected. Am I right? No, it was,
2: it was, it had actually weirdly nothing to do with Trump. It was when there was one of the million um, votes to a, repeal Obamacare. And, pe- and people said oh it's not it's not gonna succeed because John McCain is gonna do the right thing and I said if John McCain does the right thing I will eat a page of tosca live on <laughs> on Facebook um, you know live and and he did and I ate it and within 10 minutes this thing was going viral so I immediately deleted it and got <laughs>
1: All right, well we'll let you go last to hype something we'll okay. throw it over to oliver camacho first so it's Oliver camacho. Five
4: americans have been selected to be one of the 43 singers of from 21 different countries competing in the 2021 queen sonia international music competition they are sopranos erica bykoff and lib redpath baritone blake denson bass brent smith and friend of the show countertenor So we'll look forward to that and we'll give you results in August.
1: Matt Cummings.
0: Uh, Yeah, the New York Times this week published a really interesting conversation with the head of costumes for English National Opera, a woman named Sarah Bowen. It's a really fascinating look inside one of the jobs that's so crucial to the art form, but really does not get the same amount of attention as the music or the singers or anything else that we talked about in our bracket tonight, but absolutely deserves it. So uh, check it out. We will share the link out.
1: Weston Williams still in shock silence over that England (laughs) lost. Our guest, Anthony Bereze.
2: Yeah, I just want to briefly um, tout the stuff that I'm doing at my company, Opera Southwest. We're going to open up with a production of La Scala di Seta in Albuquerque at the Albuquerque Museums between September 10th and 12th. This will make us the company that has done the most productions of Rossini operas, any other American company with the exception of The Met, we will be tied with The Met um, with this mm. production of Scala di Seta and mm. then we will burst through that next year. dubious season. honor. Okay. <laughs> the Rossini part or The Met part? Being tied with anything for The Met, yeah. <laughs> oh, I see, okay.
3: <laughs> you can um, take them, Anthony. <laughs>
2: we, we, and then we're, we're gonna continue our season with a uh, production of uh, La Traviata in, uh, in October. And then it, the New Mexico premiere of Robert Xavier Rodriguez's Frida uh in February, conducted by Zoe Zagnori, wonderful um female Greek com, uh, Greek conductor. And we're gonna finish uh in March with me conducting the uh opera southwest premiere of Peleas and Melison by
4: Sue. Ow. It was almost set in Spain, if I'm not mistaken.
5: <laughs> almost let it go,
3: Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, by the time you get this, of course, England and Denmark will have clashed in the Euro 2020 semifinal. I'm not going to ask you to pray with me again like last week, but come on, England. You can do it. We are so close. That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. He's at normwaddell.com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Opera Box Score. Help us deepen our bench of listeners by liking and sharing our social media posts. Email us your hot takes on our stories, operaboxscore at gmail.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher or just favorite that show on Apple Podcasts. Again, if you're listening to us on Dallas Opera Network, you just get a little snippet of the entire show. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. The views and opinions expressed on Opera Box Score are solely those of the show's creative team. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of the accounts of this show without the express written consent of Opera Box Score is kind of like scoring an own goal. Our creative consultant's Oliver Camacho. Our audio and video editor is Weston Williams. For your co-host, Matt Cummings, and our guest, Anthony Berese, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera as you fantasize about setting your opera in Spain. We're back with an Olé. all-new show next week. Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more general directors who don't direct on the stage. Join us.